We're continuing our, continuing our journey along with the Israelites in uh, the book of Moses, uh, chapter 13, starting at uh, verse 17. The words are on the screen, and if you have the uh, black uh, uh, church Bibles, we're uh, on page 106. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though that was shorter. For God said, if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led the people around by the desert road toward the Red Sea. The Israelites went up out of Egypt ready for battle. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him because Joseph had made the Israelites swear an oath. He had said, God will surely come to your aid and then you must carry my bones up with you from this place. After leading Sukkoth, they camped to Etham on the edge of the desert. By day, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, so that they could travel by day or night. Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the Israelites to turn back and encamp near Pihar-Hithroth, between Migdol and the sea. They are to encamp by the sea directly opposite Baal Zephon. Pharaoh will think the Israelites are wandering around the land in confusion, hemmed in by the desert. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart and he will pursue them. But I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and all his army. And the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So the Israelites did this. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds about them and said, what have we done? We have let the Israelites go and have lost their services. So he had his chariot made ready and took his army with him. He took 600 of the best chariots along with all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, so that he pursued the Israelites who were out marching out boldly. The Egyptians, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots, horsemen and troops, pursued the Israelites and overtook them as they camped by the sea near Pihar Hiroth, opposite Baal Zephon. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us out to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians 
so that they will go in after them. And I will gain glory through Pharaoh and all his army, through his chariots and his horsemen. The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I gain glory through Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. Then the angel of God, who had been traveling in front of Israel's army, withdrew and went behind them. The pillar of cloud also moved from in front and stood behind them, coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel. Throughout the night, the cloud brought darkness to the one side and light to the other side. So neither went near the other all night long. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and all that night the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. The waters were divided, and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground, with a wall of water on their right and on their left. What is God like? Uh, I'm not asking the question, what do you think God is like? Uh, we can all think anything. What is God really like? To answer that question, you, you can't go better than to look at a story of redemption. And the one before that we've just heard us heard is uh, one of the best. I want to begin today with the application. At the end of the story, we read, when the Israelites saw the great power the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord, they put their trust in him and in his servant, and then Moses and the Israelites sang this song to the Lord. I will, I will sing to the Lord for he is highly exalted. The horse and its rider he has hurled into the sea. There's our application. Once we've seen the great power of the Lord, uh, the only response, the, the unavoidable response, the right and appropriate response is to fear the Lord, to put our trust in him and in his servant and then to sing, not because there's words in front of you, but from within because you can't help doing anything but to sing out of joy, to sing out of a desire to proclaim his name, to extol him, to lift him up because he's so magnificent. Let's pray that God would make that happen to us. Father in heaven, uh, as we come to this well-known story once again, help us put aside our familiarity and the, you know, the thought that we know it all. Help us to hear it afresh and help us to believe in you, uh, to trust in you, to fear you and to be motivated deep within uh, to sing because we want to extol how wonderful you are. Amen. Okay, uh, let's have an immersive experience. I want us to all imagine that we are Israelites and we're standing on the shore of the Red Sea. We've just left Egypt, we're no longer slaves. God has delivered us through 10 devastating plagues um, that fell on, on Pharaoh, that, including that last and most terrible 10th uh, one, which left the firstborn son of Egyptians dead. This has resulted in our ejection from Egypt. God has redeemed us with a mighty power and an outstretched arm as he said he would. And now we're on the shores of the Red Sea. And yet, uh, it's nervous because in front of us, what do we see? Water. Behind us, there's the cloud that's coming up on the horizon of the fast approaching Egyptian army which are intent on destroying us. And we are trapped, and there's no escape, and the feeling you feel at that point is terror. 
the Lord's promised to deliver us from the Egyptians. In, in fact, that's what we've experienced in part. But now we're staring death in the face and everyone is saying to themselves, why on earth did we leave Egypt in the first place? It's like we're standing between two moments in redemption. God has led us out of Egypt, but we're still on this side of the Red Sea. Death is now a very strong likelihood. Now, come back to today. For all of us who've, who've committed ourselves to God and to his servant Jesus, we'll know how the Israelites have felt because we stand also between two moments in redemption. We can look back. You can know that Jesus, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. God, Through him, God has freed us from slavery to sin and to death. But looking forward, we're still a long way from the promised land. And, you know, the barrier that we've got to get over to get there is death, right? We've been redeemed from slavery to sin, yet we know uh, sin still rears its ugly head. God has set us free from the fear of death, and yet what's facing us is death. We are on the shore. We are stuck between God's initial delivery and his final delivery. We stand with the Israelites on the shores of the Red Sea, and it's frightening. You know, we've seen on the television what's happened in northern New South Wales and Queensland, the drought and the fire, the firestorms. Um, Adelaide hasn't been immune to this in the past. This is part of sin's curse on our land. Uh, there's sickness and death, which all of us confront. Uh, there's conflict in relationships. We have an enemy intent on destroying us, Satan, who wants to take us down, who wants to, wants to help us to freak out, who helps, wants to make us doubt God, question God, give up, give up on God, throw in the faith out of fear. Because did you hear the doubt, the fear in the Israelites' voices? Did you hear it? Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us out to the desert to die? This is not a confident people. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than die in the desert. They're terrified. What sort of a God do we have who helps us in this situation? We have a, a God who fights for us. A God who fights for us. A fighting God, yes. Listen to Moses' words again to the fearful Israelites. He says, do not be afraid. This is the gospel. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance that the Lord will bring to you today. The Egyptians you see today, you'll never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. This is the gospel. The gospel isn't what we do for God, it's what God has done for us. Be still and watch. <laughs> um, when God's people are overcome with fear, we need to know that we have a Lord who fights for us. That's what you need when you're afraid, isn't it? You need to know someone stronger than you is on your side and they're taking down the one who wants to destroy you. So the story goes on. By now the Egyptian army have all but caught up to the Israelites. What is God going to do? Well, God has already revealed himself to be an immensely caring leader for the Israelites. He has led them in a visible column of cloud by day and fire by night. This is a massive kindness. God didn't have to do that. He hasn't done it since. The Lord is spirit. But for this people who've been so long oppressed, so long squashed, 
the Lord reassures their hearts at this very vulnerable point in time by visibly leading, leading them through the desert. There was no doubt in anyone's minds as to who was leading them. It wasn't Moses, it was the Lord. There he was. Okay. What's more, God has shown his kindness by accommodating himself to their weaknesses and conditions. He could have led them along the coastal route. That would have been the quicker route to Canaan. But that way was heavily fortified and guarded. And the Lord knew that a military confrontation was too much for them at this stage. Look how scared they are here. He was right. So the Lord not only reveals himself as a leader of his people, but a leader who cares massively who deals with them in their weakness. But we know for all his caring, good on you, Lord, uh, the, Israel, the Egyptians are almost upon us. Uh, what shall the Lord do? Shall he change his plan? No, no, this has been God's plan all along. The Lord deliberately turned the Israelites back towards the sea so as to confuse Pharaoh into thinking the Israelites were just wandering around confused so that then he could harden Pharaoh's heart in his hatred towards the Israelites and could deliberately draw Pharaoh out to come after them. Why does the Lord do this? He says, so I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and all his army and so that the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. That's the expressed purpose of the confrontation, the Lord's own glory. Uh, the confrontation wasn't there primarily to redeem Israel. That was the second purpose. The main purpose was that the Lord would be glorified. That ought to make us think. You know, of course, we have our fears, they're big for us, but bigger than those, the bigger concern is the Lord's glory. Um, yes, the Lord accommodates himself to us to assure us in the journey, but centre place in God's plans is his, him not sort of resolving our fears. That's a byproduct. <laughs> centre place in God's plans are his own glory. Now, whatever we think of that, here we realise we're not dealing with a God who's like a fairy godmother. This isn't a Santa Claus God. This isn't an Aladdin's lamp God, a genie where you're the master. Uh, it's not like we are the centre of the universe and the Lord revolves around us. No, no, no. He is the centre of the universe and we revolve around him and his plans. Okay, we're not dealing with an equal. So when the king of Egypt finds out that the Israelites have fled, of course, God's plan works. Uh, he changes his mind. He thinks, what have we done? We've lost the backbone of our economy. He so summons 600 of the best charioteers and all the other chariots and uh, chases after them to pursue them, initially to bring them back, but then the Lord hardens his heart so that by now the Egyptians want to destroy the Israelites. Chapter 15, verse 9, I will pursue, I will overtake them, I will divide the spoils, I will gorge myself on them, I will draw my sword and my hand will destroy them. The Israelites justifiably are terrified. What's the Lord going to do? The Lord is going to fight for his people. Watch and see the Lord our God. He tells Moses, raise up your staff and stretch it out over the waters of the Red Sea. He reveals his plan. The waters will be divided. The Israelites will go through on dry ground. Now, we're familiar with this story. Imagine you weren't. Can you imagine what this sounds like? You're going to divide the waters? <laughs> Um, the Lord says he's going to harden Pharaoh's heart even further so the Egyptians will rush in. 
We're going to go through there and then the Egyptians are going to come in afterwards. All right, that sounds a plan. <laughs> okay. And I will gain glory through Pharaoh and all his army because I want the Egyptians to know that I am the Lord when I gain glory through Pharaoh, his chariots and horsemen, says the Lord. And then I love this, the Lord who's been leading his people right in front of them, he moves from his position in front of the Israelites in this pillar of cloud and fire. He comes between the fleeing Israelites and the approaching Egyptians. So the Lord makes himself Israel's rear guard as they're running away. And to his people, even though it's, it's nighttime now, um, to the Israelite, the Lord shines light all around to his people in the front. In, in the front. And, but to the approaching Egyptians, it's darkness and um, blackness uh, so as to throw them into confusion. They cannot see the Israelites. And then Moses stretches out his hand over the sea, and you might remember the great scene with uh, Charlton Heston, Cecil B. DeMille's The Ten Commandments, right? Or more recently, the Prince of Egypt. You know, there he is. Uh, the Lord splits the ocean. He does it by sending a great east wind. Now, this must have been a very powerful wind, right? So you're not just casually walking through, you know, admiring the fishies in the sun, you know. This is this massive wind going through and you've got several million people hurrying through the parted Red Sea in the middle of the night with light shining out to you, darkness behind, while the Egyptian army's coming in. It's massive, 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 my goodness. Um, he separates the water so that dry land appears. It's almost like what happens in Genesis 1 when God created the heavens and the earth. And God spoke and dry land appeared out of the water. It's an event of that magnitude happening here. And all that night, the Israelites hurry across the seabed, the wall of water on their right, a wall of water on their left. It's this amazing moment. Behind them, the Lord himself is in this pillar of fire and cloud. And behind him, of course, is the Egyptian army, but he's the rear guard. They are so hardened against the Israelites, they too are rushing down into the sea, into the parted sea. The Israelites are hurrying through in the light of day. The Egyptians are following in the darkness because the Lord has come between them. And then during the last watch of the night, the Lord looks down from his pillar of fire and cloud at the Egyptian army and he throws it into confusion. And their chariot wheels come off and they, their pursuit is ground to a halt. And then the film slows down and the camera zooms in on the face of an Egyptian officer and you can sort of hear through the sound of the hold of the water and the wind. You can imagine the words, but we've got them written there. <laughs> Let's get away from the Israelites. The Lord is fighting for them against Egypt and now they all understand and then Moses stretches out his hands once more and the waters come down in over the Egyptians and they are drowned and the threat against God's people is over because they're safe on the other side and they are delivered and then the next morning as they're standing there as far as they can see along the shores of the, the, the Red Sea are the bodies of the Egyptian soldiers and that sounds awful to us but of course we say it from the peace and security of living in an island nation where we share no border with an enemy. But stand with the Israelites, you're not looking at the bodies of supportive neighbours who you've known as nice people. You're looking at the bodies of soldiers who had oppressed you and who had enslaved you 
and who had now come after you in their fury with all their war machines to kill you. You're looking at the bodies of soldiers who wanted to terminate you, which brings to mind a movie, right? So here's Arnie, plays an indestructible cyborg assassin from the future who enters into the present to terminate a woman named Sarah Connor. And right throughout the movie, if you watched it, we feel the fear of Sarah as she's running, running, running away from this being from the future who wants to kill her. And when at the end the Terminator miraculously gets terminated, what you feel then is immense relief. Immense relief and thankfulness. And that's what the uh, Israelites would have felt. Seeing the bodies of the soldiers was their understanding. They were finally safe because God, their God, had fought for them and had overcome. He had destroyed those who would destroy them. Listen to their response, chapter 14. When the Israelites saw the great power of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord. And you would because you saw the carnage there, right? They put their trust in him and in Moses, his servant, and then they sang The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. I will sing to the Lord for he is highly exalted. The horse and the rider he has thrown into the sea. The chariots he's destroyed. The the tanks that were against us. They saw, they feared, they put their trust in the Lord, his servant, and they sang. And that's the story of the Exodus. And it's meant to grip us. Uh, This was the gospel in the Old Testament. Later on, when they'd share the gospel, the good news, they'd they'd come back and they'd share this moment, this moment of redemption, this moment of of deliverance. They'd tell the story again and again. It was the story of when the Lord fought for his people. Now, we may not be used to thinking of God as a warrior, uh, but that's what this story is telling us. That's who he is. And it's not tangential, you know, like a little bit on the side, you know, a minor thing of who he is. This is who he is. He fought for the Israelites and he fought for us. How did God fight for us? When did God fight for us? We've not been in slavery in Egypt. We've not stood literally with them on the shores of the Red Sea, yes. But think about it, we have been in slavery, haven't we? Uh, In fact, we're born in slavery. Ours is a deeper slavery, more permanent. Uh, A slavery to sin and to death And let's understand, death is not just stopping breathing. That's a medical description. Death, as God puts it, is eternal separation from him. It's much worse than just stopping existing. It has to do with eternal banishment from his presence. It's to suffer the misery of that punishment. You know, to think anything less about death, to reduce it, to simply sort of stopping breathing, that's to buy the lie of Satan, isn't it? Because what was the lie Satan first whispered in the garden? you will not surely die. That was the first lie, wasn't it? To think of death somehow is not God's punishment. People nowadays are sophisticated. We sanitise death by thinking of it only as biological. It isn't. It's spiritual. It's personal. It's eternal. It's separation from God. It's falling under the judgment of God. And that is what we are naturally born as slaves to. Sin, the conscious hardening of our hearts against God and we're experts in it. And death falling under the eternal judgment of God. 
And of course, being slave to these things, we know from the story of the Israelites, slavery is not something you can get out of by yourself. You need God to redeem you out of slavery. You know, to think that we can do it by ourselves, this is ludicrous as an Egyptian soldier still bogged in the mud with his wheels falling off and still being pretty optimistic about his chances. Deluded. This is bigger slavery than the slavery uh, to Pharaoh. This is a slavery of cosmic proportion. It involves each of us. It involves death. It involves sin. It involves the judgment of God. Who can redeem us out of that? Now, most of us know our Bibles. (laughs) We know that this has to do with Jesus, right? I want to now draw the connection so that you see it really clearly. First, in the New Testament, um, there is a very strong identification made between Jesus as God's son and uh, Israel as God's son. So, um, in the story we've just heard, the Israelites actually become the people of God through the Exodus. It's when God first tells Moses to go on this rampage, you know, or lead the people out uh, at the burning bush. It's there that he says, Israel is my firstborn son. And then they sort of become, the nation becomes God's son as they go through the waters of the Red Sea, when they're baptized through the waters of the Red Sea. Think of Jesus' baptism. Here is God the son entering our world in human form. But when is he proclaimed as God's son? Well, it's at the baptism. As he's going through the waters and comes out. Why does he need to be baptised? Not because he's a sinner who needs to repent. No, he doesn't need to repent, but so he can identify with God's people, with God's son. This is my son. Okay? Jesus goes through the baptism to identify with God's people. Um, Now, why the need for that identification? Well, because there was a greater redemption that needed to happen. Um, Israel herself needed this. After they'd come through the Red Sea, it wasn't long before they hardened their own hearts against God, before they were tested and tempted in the desert for 40 years, before they all perished. We need that redemption too, the redemption of that hardness of heart, that calcification of ourselves against God. Well, thankfully, Jesus has identified with fellow sinners like you and me. He identified with the Israelites. And whereas the Israelites were tested and failed in the desert, Jesus, straight after he was baptised, was sent out into the desert and tested and tempted for 40 days. But whereas we failed, the Israelites failed, he didn't. He's the perfect Israelite, the true Israelite, in whom there's nothing false. Okay. What I'm saying is that the basis for our redemption focuses now not on the people doing something, but on Jesus doing something. But how? How would this happen? How would this new redemption, this new moment happen? Well, enter Moses into the pages of the New Testament. Do you remember Moses appearing in the New Testament? On the mountain with Jesus? Okay, do you know what they were talking about when Jesus was changed and transfigured and his you know, clothes became dazzling white and his face was you know, like lightning? Do you remember what he was talking about with Moses? Do you know? 
In Luke chapter 9, we're told they were talking about his departure, literally his exodus. A new exodus, a second exodus. What was this exodus that Jesus would go through? Would it be the same as that before? Well, Isaiah tells us. Isaiah, a later prophet after, of course, uh, Moses, he tells us in language reminiscence of the Exodus, the Lord will lay bare his holy arm in the sight of all the nations and all the ends of the earth will see the salvation of our God. And it does sound like a new Exodus. Depart, depart, go, go out from there. Although it's different because you will not leave in haste or in flight for the Lord will go before you the God of Israel will be your rear guard. Do you hear all that Exodus language coming through again? There will be a new one. What is this new Exodus which Jesus and Moses spoke about and which Isaiah prophesied about? Well, the very next verse in Isaiah goes on to speak of the suffering then of God's servant, of his humiliation, how he would bear our sins and carry our weaknesses and sorrows and how by his wounds we would be healed and spoke of his suffering for us, his atoning death and then his resurrection from the dead. That is where the Lord will achieve the new exodus for us. That is where the Lord fights for us. That's where he lays bare his holy arm in the sight of all the nations. Indeed, after speaking with Moses, Jesus came down from the mountain and then set his face towards Jerusalem, knowing exactly what would happen when he got there, how he would be strung up and crucified, but on the third day raise, be raised from the dead. This is him fighting for us. This is him stepping into the ring. This is him taking on our real enemies because he himself said that he would suffer sin's curse. He would suffer the separation from God which we deserve and he would come out the other side victorious when he rises from the dead. Brothers and sisters, we might feel that sometimes in our life we're standing on the shores of the Red Sea, like the Israelites. Uh, we're afraid. We're facing death. Uh, we're still feeling like we're under uh, the curse of being in slaves. We do need to know at that point, when our hearts are afraid, that we have a Lord who has fought for us. He has taken on our enemies. Now, of course, we feel, still face death, but let's, let's be clear, the nature of death has been radically changed for those who believe in Jesus. Uh, we can now say it's just stopping breathing, but it is no longer separation from God. It is no longer falling under the terrible judgment of God forever. It is no longer living with the misery of being away from God. No, no, no. It's just changing clothes. It's casting off one set of clothes, this body, for another. That's all it is. The nature of death has entirely been changed. Death has been robbed of its sting. It's no longer the enemy. It's no longer the enemy. He has fought and he has overcome. He died for our sins, suffered sin's curse and raised from the dead. And you know, if our hearts should fear, we need to hear the Lord's words. Do not be afraid. Stand firm. You have seen the deliverance the Lord has brought you today through his servant, the Lord Jesus Christ. 
We are like the Israelites on the other side of the Red Sea. We look and we see the carcasses of the defeated enemies. What are we looking at? The carcass of death itself, sin with its enslaving shackles, those powers far mightier than an Egyptian army, they have lost the power for us. What should our response be? Chapter 14, verse 31, when the Israelites saw the great power of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and in his servant. And then they sang. I'm going to ask the musos to come up because we're going to sing. Here is God's call for us to look at what God has done for us at the cross and in the resurrection of Jesus, uh, to fear the Lord, for us to put our trust in him and in his servant and to sing uh, with joy, to extol him. Chapter 15, we haven't gone through it, but it's the song of Moses, which he got the Israelites to sing. And they sang, <laughs> they sang, I will sing to the Lord. The Lord my God has become my strength. He has become my song. Is that what you could sing? That the Lord is now my song? He is my strength. The Lord has become my salvation. Could you sing these words? That the Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. Could you say, you know, out of joy, because <laughs> you have such a deep appreciation of being <laughs> rescued, that who among the other gods is like you, O Lord? In your unfailing love, you will lead the people you have redeemed. Do you know that song? Do you know it deeply? Uh, do you know it in your heart? Because if you do, you need to sing. Having put your trust in the Lord and in his servant and feared him. Time to stand. Let's sing.